Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. Loads to discuss after Fulham's one-all draw against Sheffield United, which, of course, none of us saw. Adam Ola-Lookman looks the business, and Mitro had a day to forget, and that's putting it nicely. Here to discuss everything from the match. Right, I need to put something straight. So we use this system called Zencaster to record the podcast, and all the boys and girls, when they come on, basically can put their name into the system. Now, most normal people, like Joe Sanson, just put Joe. Hello, Joe. <laughs> Hello, yeah, I think I'm in the minority with this. Drew has put Drewben Loftus-Cheek. Hi, Drewben Loftus-Cheek. Uh, uh, hello, everybody. Hilarious. But no, not, not quite as good as Farallola Lookman. Did you guys discuss this beforehand? Hi, Farrell, by the way. Hello. Hello, friends. Uh, no, we didn't. We This has just come from our independently warped minds. Farrell and I are just so independently witty that it was always going to happen. Is this what happens to humour when you hit 30? Because I'm only a couple of years off. Oh, yeah, they're all about the dad jokes. Uh, I mean, I've been, I've been like this. I've been like this the whole time, to be honest. <laughs> oh, OK, fair enough. Maybe maybe it's not just a 30 thing, because I'm getting really worried that I've only got about 18 months of not making terrible jokes like that. Anyway, thank you all for being on the podcast today. Um, as I say, loads to get through. Um, Farrell or Farallola, uh, I asked you to have a look at some three word reviews. So uh, what are the best ones that came through? Yeah, we've got quite a good few, a uh, few good ones. Uh, for the first time ever, I'm actually going to read two out from the same person. So Brett Rowland's uh, debutante's positive outing. And uh, I really enjoyed the, from a personal point of view, the Scott Wycav. Um, we have Isaiah L. Rice's, <laughs> Isaiah L. Rice's VAR from safety, Trader Dro, Lookman a point, and finally Hutchie's Mitro's off fire. Yeah, I saw Mitro's off fire and I thought that was very, very good. Well, um, Drew, the lineup we saw. Two debutants today in Adarabayo and Loftus-Cheek coming into the side. Um, and, and a first Premier League start, of course, for Adamola Lookman. No surprise there, really, with how impressive he was in the cameo that he did against Wolves. And a mate, a non-Fulham mate, who does really know his football, um, texted me saying that, you know, you look at that starting eleven, and it's it's not that bad. Like, and I saw another tweet tonight saying that man for man, our squad is better than 18-19. And once again... I find it hard to disagree, Drew. Like, yes, I still think we've got a massive battle to stay up, but fair play. This is, It's not a bad starting eleven. No, I agree. Um, you know, there's been lots said about Cavalero and he... Uh, you know, you could talk for you could talk for hours about him, but actually, if you look at it, it is a great, it is a good team on paper. I think myself, you know, let's transport the morning after Wembley. If I looked at the starting eleven graphic uh, that we played against uh, Sheffield United today, and I saw all these names, would I be happy with with what we've got? And you know, I think we probably would question some of the signings, but actually, having seen some of them play since they've arrived, you know, Ina's sort of uh, improved with every game that he's played, and we all know what Robinson brings. I think, uh, I think on the whole, now looking at it with with the knowledge that we do, I think it is a team good enough to stay up. Um, I think when the lineup comes out today, you get the collective groans about Cav, but you also get the question marks of where's Hector? Unless I'm missing something, uh, to be gone from the squad is a bit odd. No. 
it's odd to be missing from the squad in in in, in its entirety. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I wonder whether there was some truth to the rumours of these EFL loans and. You know, we never know who pushes for what or whether anything happened. But to have him gone from the squad was uh, was a uh, you know struck alarm bells. Um, but uh, uh, you know, looking the further up the pitch you go as well, it just looks it looks really great. I mean, you know, Loftus Cheek today was brilliant, and Lookman as as well has been brilliant as well. So yeah, it's definitely it's got the ingredients to stay up with, and it's just whether now we can uh, we can get them to to, to gel. Joe, uh, Scott seems to have found a system which is a back four in possession and then a back five out of possession. And in the Wolves game, he tasked Joe Bryan with that role of basically being a midfielder and a defender. And that's not an easy role. Joe Bryan's probably the best suited to it in our squad, I feel. Cavalero, I mean, I think he's having a tough season anyway. And for Scott to ask him to do that job... It really didn't work for him today, did it? I don't think it's worked for him many days so far this season without being rude. Um, I think that if Lookman was more accustomed to playing on the right-hand side, Cavalero's days in the first team would be done by now um, because I think that's the only reason that Brian didn't play on the left and Lookman on the right. Um, It just seems that he runs down blind alleys when the alley is completely free. Um, he sort of makes situations harder for himself and I can't really put my finger on why. It seems to be um, maybe a lack of confidence, but he's not the player we need on the right-hand side, sadly. He seems to be the weak link um, and in a few situations, such as in the second half, I think they had a four-on-two counter-attack um, and he ended up fluffing it out for a corner, which was a real waste in a great chance to take the lead at nil-nil and it's just a shame that I think we should have got someone else in in um, a forward position that had a bit more quality because the rest of our attacking team has, has already been said um, looks a world apart from what we saw against Arsenal in the opening day um, we've got a bit more creativity from midfield Lookman looks a brilliant signing Mitrovic is a, a good striker although it wasn't his best day today and it just seems that on the right hand side is where we're lacking a bit more quality yeah, in that case, kind of surprising that Knockart has been let go. I mean, Farrell, what do we do about this position? I think Scott maybe has found a tactic that works and it seems to make sense. We need bodies back, but also a back five means that we've got no creativity going forward. So this kind of hybrid formation is is quite clever. If if I'm you know, I'm not I'm not a tactical genius, I'm not Pep Guardiola, but it looks like a fairly good solid system to me, but as, as Joe says, we can't really use Brian on the left if we're going to use Lookman on the left. And out on the right, I mean, can Kamara do that job? Can Kamara fill in as a right back? I mean, he's got he's, no doubt he's got the legs to do it, but has he got the, the nows to play right back? I mean, I'm not 100% sure I'd like to see it. So I think Scott's got a bit of an issue there of how to make this system work personnel-wise. Yeah, um, I think before we get into the actual personnel, I would sort of address from what Scott might think from a, from a point of view. And that was what we've seen in the past is that he, he's going to look at the team performance as a whole and playing the system and looking at the performance. I mean, honestly, I actually only ended up watching the second half and from the second half. And, you know, I actually saw a really good performance from from the team in yellow. 
And Scott has also come out and said, I thought it was an exceptional performance in the second half. And I'd be hard pressed to disagree with him. And if he's looking at it as as how we played and using the system, and even if Cav is in it, not really performing very well and looking at it and thinking, actually, well, we performed well enough to to get the three points today. Maybe Maybe he's less inclined to actually change it up. That being said, you know, Cav, um, as a right winger, his main, you know, duties is to create opportunities. And I don't really, I didn't, I don't really remember him creating a, a single opportunity this season, let alone this afternoon. The thing is with Cavalero is we know what, what we know his strengths. He can create something out of nothing. He can have like a, we just say it about Andy Cole, he'd do nothing all game and then he'd pop up with a moment of magic and he'll score a goal, wherever he's playing for. But the trouble, the difference between that and, uh, and, and Cavalero is that obviously Cavalero is in a position where, you know, he, he needs to do a lot more during the game. He's not, we can't afford that sort of luxury. And when he's not doing, you know, when he's not coming up with these, uh, with these moments of magic, the last thing you want to do is give him a whole nother set of responsibilities uh, there were so many there were so many times where the there was just such a huge gap down that side when Sheffield United were on the break and any other team apart from the team that's just one place above us in the league would have punished us you know two three four times so that is for me a huge problem area that we didn't really you know we got away with it today but that's something that we're going to have to look at if, if Scott's going to carry on this 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 formation, this tactic that he's that he's using, which you know, as we've said, there's plenty of strong points and positives to it, so we should. Um, but yeah, the answer is 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 not as clear. It is Ivan Cavallero's birthday today. I do feel a bit mean ratting him out so much, but such is life of a professional footballer and uh, and running a podcast. Um, Joe, Fulham weren't good in that first half. Like, is, we can be positive about the second half as much as we like but if it wasn't Ollie McBurney on the end of a few of those brilliant crosses I thought Sander Berg by the way was was really good and a few of those balls into the box were excellent had it been anyone else had it been Rian Brewster maybe had he been signed a few games earlier or whatever Fulham would have been 2-0 down by halftime and completely out of the game um it felt like Sheffield United just had so much space out wide we were playing so narrow and this is a team that famously creates chances out wide (laughs) Yeah, I didn't really understand the first half, to be honest, because the first 10 minutes, I thought we were very comfortable and probably the better team. And then from about 15 minutes in to the end of the half, it was just a barrage of Sheffield United attacks, all from the wings. As we all know, that's how they play from even in the championship a few years ago. Um, and I don't know how Ollie McBurney hasn't scored there. You would have thought with him feeling the pressure of Brewster coming in, he feels he needs to take one of those chances. He had a couple in the second half as well. Um, it felt like we were sort of trying to play the offside trap a few times, which I haven't seen us do before. In the, I can't remember seeing us do before, and it worked uh, with the uh, disallowed goal. But it's a very risky game to play. Um, and I've got to say that um, I thought Adarabio had a brilliant first appearance in the Premier League for us. I thought he was um, the shining light of the back line who thought defended well. Um, Ariola also had a good game and goal, but I thought Adarabio looked really composed. And I think he went under the radar a bit on deadline day because of Anderson signing, who's obviously now injured, sadly. Um, and he's gone under the radar and he's put in a really good performance. And I think he deserved a clean sheet. Yeah, he did. I thought I, I thought he was excellent today. And, and Michael Hector must be really scratching his head thinking, how did this go so wrong so quickly that now a youngster that was making his Premier League debut today has taken my place of what 
probably if you'd have asked me at the start of the season, I'd have thought Hector would be a 38 game man. I didn't, and I'm baffled as to how this happened, but yeah, Adebayo was excellent today. And um, I think well worthy of, of keeping his, his spot in the team and, and Farrell, like two quite good games in a row, particularly for the defense. It was absolutely pillared after the Aston Villa game and was looking like it might be one of the worst defenses in history. Yes. Okay. We haven't kept a clean sheet in either game, but we're going in the right direction. I'd much rather be conceding one goal a game than three goals a game. Yeah. And if you look at the rest of the Premier League, conceding one goal a game is actually probably very, very good. Um, We're we're now the standard setter for the entirety of the Premier League. Go us. (laughs) Um, it is. It, it is. It's quite good, and it's a remark. It's a. It's a good turnaround. For, I was about to say remarkable. That's probably being a bit too kind. It is a good turnaround from from Scott and the boys. And I did mention in the week that you know Scott has a has now got a proven track record of changing a mentality of a squad from a losing one to a winning one, or at least at, at the moment a, a drawing one. Um, you know, getting better performances out of it. And um, you know, if we're looking at things specifically, I, I would say that perhaps we we are have been a bit harsh on players like Tim Ream on the, in the past because there were points throughout his Fulham career where we think he's dead and buried and lo and behold, he, he, he turns it around and suddenly he's a, a stalwart on the team. And I think that's, and, and and that happened again at the start of the season. And yet, you know, we see him as, you know, we'd be very hard pressed to, to see him dropped for the next game against Crystal Palace. I, I thought from what I saw that he was quite impressive today. I, I don't feel like Tim Ream a foot wrong in in my regard and to be honest I, you know when you kind of look back on retrospect um, look back on it retrospectively throughout the rest of the season I, I wouldn't necessarily pin a lot of what's happened and the goals conceded on someone like Tim Reeve or Michael Hector for that matter I think that there was a more sort of team ethic that was just so weak at, uh, at defending goals and just defending against quality quality players and obviously we were getting absolutely hammered from the fullback positions and you couldn't really say that it was a real problem yes I know that Tim Ream had made a mistake versus Arsenal in the first game but apart from that I, it's it's quite easy to pin it on you know just a central defence I think there was a wider team issue there but yeah I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased that Tim Ream he's you know one of my favourite players in the squad he's a he's a vastly experienced professional um, you know he probably just needs um you know, someone with a bit more quality next to him. And thankfully, uh, Tossin was was showing that as well. I thought that Lamarchon was pretty good against Wolves as well. Um, I, you know, I don't think that, like I was saying before, I don't think the centre-backs were necessarily the problem position. We we were really struggling to get a foothold in a lot of games for, for large periods of time. And today, as especially as I saw in the second half, we, we were able to... to make a real impact in the game going forward and alleviate a lot of pressure on the back line. And when they were called upon, they did the job sternly. And I think there's a lot of credit that needs to probably go towards Scott Parker and his team and they're, and they're changing their mentality and looking a bit more positive. Yeah, I, I'm really excited for, for the future of Adarabaya. I think he seems like a great purchase. And one sign that you always 
look at when when we when you make a signing um and i guess it's easier with english clubs in particular but man city fans were really upset to lose him man city fans really thought he could be a player that would come through the academy and actually maybe make it to the first team and they've been really impressed with his performances when he played either in the carabao cup um or when he'd been on loan as well so that was always a good sign and to get him for a million and a half unbelievable business unbelievable business um and in fairness it's not been the great greatest window in lots of areas but a million and a half for a player that's 23 in English and and played like he did today then yeah respect but you know it's one game and uh, there's a lot of um, football left to be played and um, let's come on to the second half and and Drew a big moment in the game um, it was the corner in for, I think it was Cavallaro who took the corner uh, and a, a clear handball by the Sheffield United defender Ruben Loftus-Cheek did well to kind of win the header and, and plant it into his hand I mean what was he thinking uh, I think it was John Egan that gave away the penalty although I may be mistaken um, but Mitrovic like is he that good at penalties? I remember that penalty scored against Cardiff and that was an absolute rocket. But apart from that, he just really flatters to deceive. And I, I feel like the pressure gets to him, which is surprising for someone like Mitro, who kind of walks around looking like grenades wouldn't like take him off his stride normally. But something about him and penalties, particularly in the Premier League, I wasn't confident the moment he was stepping up to it. No, it, it was a. It, you could see the way that he, you know there was a lack of run up. Just everything about the whole thing. It just it just didn't feel right. And you know the, the pressures on the the keeper when on penalties. We know that you know it is it is uh, the odds are so so stacked in in, in the uh, in the penalty taker's favour. But to not even get it on target. You know just to hit that crossbar. It's just it was it was outrageous. It was it was it was a shocker. And you know I said on Twitter. Mitrovic has got enough credit in the bank with me to uh, to get away with a day like that. But yeah, you're right. You know, is there a question about uh, you know penalty taking uh, for Mitro? Because you only I remember the ones he's missed more than I remember the ones he scored. You know, we, we talked about Oldham in the FA Cup. That was the you know one of the many nadirs of of, of last uh, Premier League campaign, uh, even though it was in the cup. Uh, this is this is the point. We're, we're remembering his misses more than more than his uh, his goals from the penalty spot. Is it is it time to, to sort of shake it up a little bit? My only question, my only fear about that is, you know, strikers are confidence players, and you know, I think it could be more detrimental than than anything else to take it from him. Especially, um, and you know, when you when we're swapping and changing all of these different parts of the team, tactics, lineups, you know, one more spinning wheel could be, you know, not particularly helpful, but. Yeah, no, I mean, and there and there were rumours in the week about Mitrovic not being very happy with, with the training at Motspur Park, and that he's he's doing some of his own training as well. So I don't know if Mitro's a fully happy chappy at the moment. But Joe, just back on penalties. I mean, I, I listened to the full time live, and I heard Jack Kelly saying that he'd rather Tom Kearney, and I, I think I might be forgetting that Tom Kearney's <laughs> not got the greatest record with with penalties, especially. Um, I remember the championship season where we did go up. I said to remember Tom Kearney missing quite a few that season as well but my favourite penalty takers I think two that come to mind Heide Helgeson Danny Murphy right never miss penalties and they were both players that were cool calm collected Mitro I love him he's one of my favourite Fulham players of all time and, and a missed penalty and a given away a penalty is not going to change that but he's not cool calm and collected he doesn't strike me as that he likes to leather footballs. He likes to bully defenders. I just wonder if there's maybe a better option in our squad than Mitro taking penalties. And I don't think it means that he's a bad striker. 
Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you that I don't think Tom Ken is the answer to that because there was plenty of penalties in that season, as you just said, which were down to him. And I think every other player missed as well. Um, it, it's, it's a funny one with strikers because, as, as you say, it's a very much a confidence role. If you're taking the penalties away from him, is he then going to be working off scraps elsewhere? Um, is he going to be uh, low on confidence? Is he going to be struggling for goals? Um, but then again, these moments in games, especially in the Premier League, where up to that penalty, we didn't really have a sniff of goal. Um, and it's lucky that the momentum swings in our favour after that. But that could have been our big chance of the game. And that, that's it, blown. Um, you think, well, maybe a player like Lookman, could he take the penalties? You say cool, calm and collected. What about Anguissa? I think he's as cool, calm and collected as they come. I don't think I've ever seen him break a mm. sweat, no matter how much ground he covers. <laughs> um, and I just, I just wonder, um, I think you've got to give him the next penalty we get, assuming we get another one in this season where it seems like there's about 10 a game. Um, and I think you've just got to go from there. But you're, you're completely right. It's, he doesn't fill me with confidence. And the one that always sticks in my mind is Swansea at home last season when we were chasing the top two. And he made up for it by scoring that wonderful header in the last minute. But until then, it was a penalty in the 90th minute of the game in a must-win game. And it, it does seem like the pressure gets to him. Well, um, Drew, though, we, we did, as Joe said, kick on from missing that penalty. Maybe there was a, a grit between the lad's teeth, like, oh, we're not letting this one get away from us. We've had a moment where we're going we're gonna to try and actually... Um, win this game even despite the disappointments and Adamola Lookman looked like a young Josh Onoma with that run amazing run into the box I mean what a what a fantastic moment for him for us it really for me was probably the first moment we've had in the Premier League where I actually fully got me off my seat and of course that's the first time that Fulham had taken the lead this season in the Premier League it was all a bit surreal, wasn't it? I, I also uh, left my left my stool in the kitchen and gave a little fist bump. Um, you know, he's been Lookman has been so good since he's since he came in against Brentford, and that was only a, a day after he signed. And he's got that he's got that real drive and purpose, and and we've seen it so often in the games that he's in the cameos that he's made so far, where he he'll push us on and he'll and he'll uh, he'll whack a few balls into to other players. And on this occasion, he just thought, you know what, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to trust anyone else to. Uh, finish my job off for me I'm going to drive in myself and just just have a go and you know it's a great finish it was a great it was a great sort of run from him it was um you know it was wonderful and you know it's great to have him on board and I have that nagging feeling where it's like you know oh yeah one the, the best signing we've made this window so far probably on you know the way it looks is uh is uh just alone with no option but actually you know forget about that it's this season we need to we need to finish 17th and I think you know we've got a much better chance of doing that with Adamola Lookman in the starting 11 than we do without yeah, there's a great article on BBC Sport, actually, um, in depth about Adamola Lookman. It uh, went up early this evening and uh, speaks about how he scored on his Premier League debut for Everton uh, against Man City in 2017 um, and hasn't scored since until today. Three years um, and 37 Premier League appearances later. Um, and that's his second goal in, in the Premier League. I mean, RB Leipzig paid... 20 million pounds for this lad. He's clearly got some talent there. And and, and as, as Drew says, if we can profit of it from it, get 17th and look, he's not probably going to be at Craven Cottage next season, particularly if he keeps appearances up like he, like he did. But I'm very excited to have him on, on board. And uh, yeah, fantastic goal. Um, Farrell, I was fairly confident that Fulham might hang on, but 
the penalty incidents came around. I mean, Fulham nearly went 2-0 up after the penalty because we went up the other end and Tom Kearney drew a really good save out of Ramsdale. And there I was getting excited for the corner to come in. And we've we've really felt the VAR experience for the first time. And no, we had that disallowed goal against Aston Villa, but we were 3-0 down and didn't really care. Oh, it really kicks you in the nuts, doesn't it? It's such a horrible feeling. And look, it's a penalty. Do I think it's harsh? Yes, but it's a penalty, isn't it, at the end of the day? But it's one of those where... Oh, it's, he hasn't handballed it on the line or let, torn down a man through on goal. It's just such an annoying one to concede, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I was scrolling through Twitter after the game a little bit and there was people being a bit critical of Mitrovic. But to be honest, like if he didn't go for it, you'd be a bit annoyed. Um, and I think it was actually, I think Jack Robinson was the one who got, who got the ball, which is I think who actually gave away the penalty. So hero to villain, on one side and Mitrovic villain to villain for us. And um, yeah, it was, it was annoying because yeah, as you quite rightly say, we, we break. Um, I'm surprised the, the referee didn't blow up for, for because both players were down after it as well. And you, you're not even concentrating on the fact that there might be a penalty and all of a sudden the referees, you know, you get that sinking feeling when the referee starts running over to the, to the side, to the big, to the big TV. You just know, don't you? Yeah, yeah, you just know it's happening because they, they wouldn't summon him over unless there was something serious happening. And then as soon as you see the replay, you're like, oh, balls, it's happened. And, you know, you you know, you know, don't get that sense uh, from other teams that they're not going to score, really, as, as much as when, you know, maybe I'm just so sensitive to the fact that I've seen so many missed penalties by Fulham, especially in that 16-17 season where we missed so many of them. I never feel confident about a Fulham player stepping up to take a penalty as as much as I'm confident that the other team will, will score. I can't remember the last time actually that uh, Fulham saved a penalty. But yeah, it, it was it was deflating but and, and it's disappointing as well because you know Fulham had chances to see the game out and we couldn't, which is actually a Scott Parker Fulham specialty is seeing games out. Um, but, you know, you were coming up against higher quality opposition who who were used to playing at a certain level. Um, and we 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 got we got blown over by it. And it, I, I think that the, the thing is just one of those things that's that's happening. I think we've got to just, you know, draw a line under that whole penalty incident. It happened from what I saw, Sheffield United really didn't have another proper opportunity to get any other goals in that second half. And I think Fulham were the were the team that were really knocking on the door of, of Sheffield United and probably should have gone on and win it in the end with Mitrovic with two, one especially very good header and, and another half one. Just to note on that penalty as well, I think it I think it's really unfortunate for Ariola because once again, he had a fantastic game for us. And I think every game that passes, he's just putting that debate to bed. And I think you can hear the, mu- the mumblings on Twitter and elsewhere getting uh, less and less about Ro- Rodak. And it was, pro- it was the right call to bring in somebody of his quality because again, kept us in it on more than one occasion and it was just a shame that you know he had to uh, let a goal in which you know we know that keepers uh, you know are the ones that aren't expected to save the pens it was a shame from that point of view as well it was a bit of a flap though from Ariola, kind of leading up to the pen he clattered into Anthony 
Robinson and obviously then the ball went loose and his his greatest attribute I feel like for Ariola is coming and claiming crosses but obviously it was just one too many and got in his way I, that was all I was hoping for when VAR came up that somehow Ariola had been fouled in order to drop the ball but clearly not it was obviously he running in, him running into Robinson and maybe just coming for a cross that wasn't quite his to claim maybe just a, a step too far for for Ariola and yes Farrell mentioned Joe it, it kind of in a way made Mitro's day worse obviously I wanted chances to fall to him but obviously he missed the penalty he gave the penalty away and then had two massive chances at the end of the game to, to put it to bed and you you'd have backed him on both those headers really to to at least get them on target and work Ramsdale and you could just you could see it in his eyes he was livid with himself more than I think he was with missing the penalty and giving the penalty away that for Mitro is is his bread and butter and what he has made his career on so unfortunate just one of those days wasn't it yeah just one of those days for him it reminds me of I'm pretty sure it was Dempsey years ago, and I think it was at Swansea. He missed a penalty and then gave one away at the other end or something, something like that, something really similar. And it just seemed like everything that could have gone wrong for him went wrong. You'd back him to score those chances every time they fell to him in any other game. But today, even when they fell to him today, I I wasn't sure after the penalty miss whether he was going to do it. And you saw that he had his arms in the air. He was sort of screaming at the sky, just going, what is going on? Um, in particular yeah. the first header in added time I think it was which he headed sort of back across the face of goal and I thought it was going to drop into the bottom corner and just drop wide and it's a real shame because I think on the the basis of the second half I know that um, Sheffield United had by far the better of the first half I think we edged the game um, and I think we deserved the winning goal um, and what would have just been absolutely perfect is after the penalty miss and then after the unfortunate giving away of the penalty at the other end, which was a penalty, but um, obviously very unlucky how it came about. Um, if he could have just silenced everyone and everyone would have forgotten about it by heading one of those two chances in, it would have almost been uh, a non-event, the penalty miss. You wouldn't really have remembered it. No one remembers the penalty miss, apart from me mentioning it just before against Swansea because he popped up five minutes later and scored the winner. Um, and it would have just done us the world of good to get that three points but I must say I'm still very pleased to to get off the mark today I didn't want to have that um, run going on any longer where we're just not off the mark no points on the board and the commentators at the start of the game on the on the stream that I was watching um, were saying about how Sheffield United's next three games are all uh, facing top six sides Um, so I think this was definitely a bigger game I mean it's obviously a big game for us but even bigger for them because you almost wonder where they're going to get off the mark unless they secure a surprise result uh, I think it's Liverpool Chelsea and City they've got to face um, and you think mm. um, these next two games for us are massive to try and create a little bit of a gap and look ultimately it's a point away from home and the context of the fact that we should have won the game and that we were in the game and obviously we all want to win to try and reverse the errors of the first four games. But if we pick up points on the road, like today at tough little grounds like Bramall Lane and we win our home games, like the next two that are coming up, Crystal Palace and West Brom, they are massive opportunities for us. Then then Fulham will be just fine. Yes, I mean, but 
we need to start picking up points sooner rather than later because otherwise we'll just go into a spiral and we'll end up changing managers and they'll rotate the system and rotate the team and we'll end up in a exactly the same situation we were two seasons ago and back in 2013-14 as well. Um, so, yes, I want to be positive about it. You know, we did take some points off of the teams who are... Well, Sheffield United are likely to be one of the teams that we're going to be battling for relegation with. And we've taken points off them, so that's a positive. And, you know, Fulham in the Premier League made almost <laughs> made it almost a cliche that stable Premier League clubs win games at home. Um, and, you know, you can talk about lockdown doesn't really affect sort of home and away advantage. I think there's still something there without actually having the statistics in front of me. But, yeah, I mean, you're quite right. Next two games are, are massive. And then after that, you know, we've got, you've got West Ham United as well, I've just seen. And, you know, again, that's a perfect... It's away from home, but it's a perfect. It's a perfectly reasonable opportunity to pick up a point or, or, or sneak a win. Um, I feel that, you know, especially in the Premier League with a lot less teams in it like, like we do in the Championship, it's going to creep up on us before we know it. We've got only like five points after you know, 10 games or something like that, not saying that, you know, that will happen and then you're in real trouble straight away. Um, we've got to be able to to start picking up points and we've got a really good opportunity to do so. And I've got every confidence that this team, if we are staying settled, if we don't get any more injuries, we've got enough quality to get some wins. I think we're only heading in one direction in the first few games and I think it's going to take a couple of games to right that ship. And I think you can see gradually with each game that passes in the last two games, progress is being made and, and and you know if i was a betting man which which i am uh, i would suggest that we will get uh we will get our first win of the season against palace i think and then i think we'll follow that up with one or three against west brom because i feel like now that it's all about mentality with scott and his players and i think that he will be he will be able to demonstrate to the players now that you know his methods are working and we're slowly turning the tide and i and i just i feel more optimistic than i had done in well, in a while about Fulham in the Premier League after the last couple of games, I think there's just shoots of positivity there that I think we need to latch on to. Yeah. Uh, finally, one uh, stat that I feel like you'll enjoy. Um, so the last time that someone missed a penalty and gave one away in the same game was actually a Fulham game. It was Mikel Arteta uh, back in 2012 during the three or draw at uh, the Emirates. He missed a penalty, which was saved by Mark Schwarzer. And he also gave away a penalty, uh, which was scored by Dimitar Berbatov. So nice little stat there to end this part. And we'll, uh, in part two, do some questions. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here and I'm joined by Druben Loftus-Cheek. Hello. Faralola Lookman. <laughs> Hello, Stefan James. And Joe Sansom. Oh, I should have at least called myself Joe Bryan or something, shouldn't I? You should have. I mean, you can learn for next time. I'm really hoping this doesn't become a thing because I look at your names on the screen to try and like just, I don't know, ask you the next question or whatever. And um, on Thursday's podcast, this was edited out, of course, that was with um, Farrell and Tom Greatrex. Um, Farrell called himself Ivan Farrellero. And then at the end of the podcast, which I obviously had to edit out and re-record, I went, uh, thank you very much to my guest, Ivan. Oh. <laughs> 
much to Farrell's amusement and Tom's uh, as well. Maybe it can uh, make a blooper reel if we ever make one at the end of the season. Uh, we'll be back uh, later this week with uh, Fulhamish Extra. Uh, we'll be previewing the Crystal Palace game uh, and uh, hopefully a special surprise as well if we uh, can uh, can pull it off by the end of this week. Um, let's get into some questions. First one from Dan Williams. I think this is absolutely brilliant. I want to bring up uh, this match mirrors the 2-2 Brighton la- uh, last season where we were in the Premier League where we had the chance to win but ultimately dropped the points looking back on that season this was a match that if we'd have won we could have drawn some momentum do you think not winning this match holds the same significance Drew I'll, uh, I'll come to you on this one yeah I saw this one and I, I have to say I, I do completely disagree because I think the context is everything here and and it was a, it's completely different context we you know when we played Brighton uh, away uh, obviously yes there was uh, there's that sort of feeling of maybe a couple of points dropped but we'd won a game we'd, we'd beaten uh, Burnley I think it was uh, the week before so we were already you know we were on our way to um, you know we thought we were on our way and it was kind of a peg back whereas here as I said we were only heading in one direction in the first three games and now we're we're slowly turning that ship so I think contextually I just think it is uh, a, a different set of circumstances although obviously you know, at the end of the day, you can look at it as you, you've, you've lost two points from a winning position. I think uh, if you look at the bigger picture, I think this is a much more, this is a much healthier uh, situation we find ourselves in, in this time around. Was it Mitro that gave away the penalty in that game as well? Yeah, it was an yeah, in, indes- indescribable handball from a high ball. That was it. Yeah. Yes, I thought it was. Uh, well, so there, were, there definitely are some similarities, Dan. And I can I can kind of see where he's coming with it, but I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Drew. It kind of we had some momentum, and it took us back today. Okay, yes, you could say we had momentum in the game and we were pegged back, but considering we were on zero points before the game and now we have one, um, I think that it, it's a slightly different slope that we're on. But fingers crossed, it's not like that, Dan. That's all I can say. Um, next question from Matthew Morris says: Can Mitrovic thrive? in a VAR environment he does too many small things that are penalizable I don't know if that's a word but I like it worried he's just not suited to the Premier League Joe I'll come to you on this one um I think it was something that we were worried about with Mitrovic particularly like you saw the incident with Ben White um, in that Leeds game where he did retrospectively get uh, a three-game ban and you know incidents like the way he threw um Marcondes to the grounds just before Joe Bryan scored and stuff. He does lots of little things like that. And okay, that's not what happened today, but does he know yet that he's always being watched? Is is it a fair point? Yeah, it's a fair point. I hope he does know he's being watched because that should have been one of the main things that they were explaining to him in the off season where we've had time to repair. We know we've seen VAR last year without being involved with it. We know the sorts of things that you can get away with and it's not much um and so hopefully Parker's drilled that into him I do think that he is no way near as hot-headed as hot-headed even um as people make him out to be anymore um other than the Ben White incident and that incident in the playoff final I thought he was behaved pretty well last season um and I think today he just got very unlucky with the penalty he hasn't done anything from set pieces so far, which is what I was quite nervous about. I thought, um, well, other than today, I mean, um, in terms of like holding people or pushing people over. Um, and I think that as long as he can stick to that, then he should be fine because the the balls into the box, 
it seems like the attackers do get the benefit of the doubt still. One of the few things they do get the benefit of the doubt with in terms of duels. Um, and we saw that in his header against Leeds and other than that, I can't remember him being pulled up on um, holding and anything like that too much so far. So it's something he needs to learn how to deal with because everyone has to deal with it. Um, but but if, if, if he doesn't, we don't really have much choice. I've seen a lot of questions. I don't know if there's any more about replacing Mitrovic. But with who? We, we don't have another striker. Abubakar Kamara, sadly, won't cut it up front in the Premier League. Neither will Bobby Reid. I'm sure they can both do a job. But Mitrovic is our number nine. He's our striker, so he's got to learn to deal with it. That was my next question from Jamie Graham. Is it early to consider? But if we need to drop Mitro on occasions, how do we play? What's our formation? What's our style? Do we look better without him? I mean, Farrell, we did look better, not better without Mitro in the playoff final, but we played very well without him. But I'm just not confident that we can do anything in the Premier League without Mitro. And I actually think Bobby Reid has, has played okay on a couple of cameos this season, but that is maybe the one negative really from the transfer window in the end is that we, we haven't got a backup striker. But as we've said many a time, who wants to come to Fulham and play second fiddle to, to Mitrovic? Certainly not the calibre of striker that lots of people wanted, like Josh King, for example. Yeah, spot on. And I mean... Mitrovic, we know, is kind of undroppable in that regard. I, I'm happy to wipe off one bad performance, as we've as we've talked about earlier on in the in the pod. Um, you know, for everything that he's he's given uh, this team over the past couple of years now. Um, but you know, I, I'm I'm okay with him not playing from time to time. You know, due to injury or suspension, I still think that this team and especially under Scott Parker's tutelage, that we can able to fashion out uh, results without him. But he is he's undroppable, and that's that's just the situation we're in. We very rarely, if ever, see him even get substituted. Drew, this question from Mitch Sloan, which I think is the hardest question that uh, we've got in today. When Reed returns, is he that missing piece of the puzzle in the midfield? I mean, I mean yes, Reed is a great player. Maybe he could be the missing piece of the puzzle, but... With the lineup staying as it is, where does Harrison Reed fit in? Do you drop Kearney? Do you drop Anguissa? Do you drop Loftus Cheek? Now we've got him in there. You've got Mario Lamina on the bench. We've got so many midfielders. Where does Harrison Reed fit in? Because he has to play. He's such a great player that shields the defence, but also I, I'm with just about finding a system without him, and I, I just don't know who you drop. Yeah, it's it's the absolute uh, terrible timing of his injury in terms of for him, perhaps maybe he doesn't get back in at the moment because if something's working, I think you need to see it through a bit further to to, to see if it can really realise the potential. The, the the sort of tactics that Scott's been employing in the last couple of games that seem to be working for me, I feel like you need to carry that on just a little bit more. I think you know if Reed's back for Palace which by the way we're not sure you know the extent of his injury at all because obviously you know it's like North Korea when it comes to the comms about players uh, (laughs) (laughs) and their fitness so we've we've no idea quite frankly but for me I feel like when you've got something we're fostering something a little bit positive I don't think um, he necessarily can come back in until it's not going particularly as well as as it is at the moment and I'm not saying all of our sort of problems are solved but I think there's there's as we said earlier, sort of shoots or something here 
that's happening and I think that we owe it to see it through particularly today I wouldn't certainly I certainly wouldn't say he's the missing piece of the puzzle in terms of what we've seen in the last couple of games um but yeah I don't know for me I, I don't I don't tamper too much yet, um, but you know to be honest, he could come back. Reed could be back in in three games, and it could have gone up Pit Creek by then, and, and then he goes straight back in because we're trying to figure out, uh, you know how how we how we're going to try and survive in the Premier League still. So, yeah, not sure if I would immediately put him back in. To be honest, and yeah. I'll just chime in there and say, like, I haven't seen anything from Harrison Reed so far this season where I say he's going to get back in and he's the missing piece of this puzzle. To be honest, from the games that I've seen so far of him, I think he's been poor. Um, he's not been on it. I don't know whether it's Premier League nerves or anything like that, but there's nothing I've seen so far. We know he's a good player, but so far this season, it's not. it wasn't good enough. And until, until someone like Anguissa decides to go on the biggest drop of form I've seen from a Fulham player in ages, I don't really see him getting much playing time ahead of him or... And I can't see that at the moment Scott Parker would drop Kearney as well. So, yeah, that's that's what I would say about that. I think it's really, really interesting. And Joe, I mean, Scott Parker's got a real problem on his hands. As um, Peter Rutzler from The Athletic reported, Fulham have a squad of 29 players. We can only obviously register 25. You imagine a few players, the likes of Kevin McDonald, Stefan Johansson, might miss out on being in the squad altogether. And that's not an easy thing to manage for, for Scott and you know I watched the um, Spurs all or nothing documentary where where Mourinho is talking about a squad size and and he's going on about how you cannot keep everyone in a squad happy because all they want is to play and only 11 players can play and only uh, seven can be on your bench but you need a squad you need two good players for each position so it's the million dollar question and the ma- first manager that ever manages to keep a whole squad happy will be the best manager of all time Scott has been almost had the rug pulled from underneath him because we now almost have too many players. It's a, it's a hell of a job for him to kind of manage the egos in there. And you look at the likes of Mario Lamina having to settle for coming off the bench, a really talented player. Yeah, it's a really tough job for him. And it's made a lot harder by the fact that once everyone's back fit, and I just mean Anderson in that really, um, you can only have five low knees in the squad. So then who's missing out on the day to day? day-to-day games is it Lamina who's only just recently got back in today um I think it's hard I I think we needed to let more people go and obviously we don't know what's actually gone on we don't know if people were close to moves or whether um they just really didn't want to leave but there's four players now that have got to be told that they're not involved until at least January um unless they can find a move to any window that's still open so I don't know maybe Russia um so we've got (laughs) We've got, about, we've got about 10 centre mids um, and you've got to think that the ones that are going to miss out are Johansson, McDonald and Seri. And then you think, well, where else are we overloaded? And it's in defence. Um, I've seen a lot of people saying, oh, just don't register Fabry, but you need, um, you need three keepers in the, in the 25-man squad regardless. So if it's not Fabry, it'll be Wickens or one of the youth keepers. Um, so Parker's got to say to four four players, four outfield players that they're not that they're not needed, um, but they've still got to train at the club, which is really hard. And I almost think that we need to find them some move somewhere to get some football. Um, I think that if we assume that those are the three that are going to miss out, and we need one more, um, I would probably go for Adoy personally, 
Um, he's got versatility, but I don't know if we need that anymore. We've got two people that play right back. We've got the centre-backs now. We've got loads of numbers in there. And we've got two left-backs. So he's almost third choice in every position now um, when everyone's back fit. Um, so I don't know what every, everyone else thinks, but I think if, if, I, if it was up to me, and I think it's still a horrible thing to have to do because you don't really want to tell any players um, that are still training every day and are obviously still part of the squad that they're not needed. But I'd have to go with Johansson, McDonald, Seri and Adoy. If the Russian transfer window is open, we all know that Kev McDonald's likes his vodka and I've heard that Rush is pretty good for the old vodka. So I'm just putting two and two together and I think he'd have a wonderful year. Uh, right. Well, that should do for the podcast today. Thank you so much for all your questions and for listening uh, today. Farrell, we need to name the podcast. So which one of the three word reviews do you think was uh, worthy of being the title? Uh, I think it's very difficult to see past Hutchie's excellent Mitro's off fire. Yeah. Very, very good. And uh, hopefully we can reignite Mitro in the next few weeks. And uh, next Saturday against Crystal Palace would be a wonderful time to do that. Fulhamish Extra will be landing in the week, previewing that Crystal Palace game. And as I said, we may have a special announcement. Don't know. Might have to wait another week. But uh, if we do, then uh, definitely listen to Thursday's podcast. Thank you very much to my guest today, Drew Heatley. Thanks, Sammy. Farrell Monk. Thank you very much. And Joe Sanson. Thanks, Danny. Have a great start of the week and come on your whites. ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. This spooky season, have a listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, a podcast about Greek mythology that tells it honestly and often with a lot of gore, at least when it comes to these spooky season episodes. Every week in October, I have released a new episode with various levels of spooky in Greek mythology. There are ancient stories of haunted houses, ghosts, werewolves, general tragedy, and even a very bloody tree. Greek mythology has a little something for everyone, especially when it comes to spooky season. So listen to Let's Talk About Myths, baby, every week, wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST, A-cast. 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 recommends.